How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. That is a song that each of us can appreciate as Christians. And I am reminded when I hear that song about what Paul told the congregation at Corinth about when he said that the, on the day of judgment when the kingdom of God will be turned over to God on that grand day, which for us should be a reminder of that because that kingdom, of course, is, are, is you and I, Christians, and, and those that are in Christ. As we turn our attention to our lesson tonight, it's one that I've entitled, Teach Us to Number Our Days. And of course, that's taken from Psalm chapter 90, verse 12, and I would invite you to be turning to that location as we will be uh, considering that topic there tonight. And as we begin our lesson, a slide of introduction will be in order. For each of us as Christians, it is an absolute truth and a blessing for each of us to have a, li of a life in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we are told, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. The various phrases that we see throughout the New Testament, in Christ, in Him, through Him, by Him, or in whom, we can all appreciate those wonderful spiritual blessings that we enjoy as Christians. We also know that there are differences between the physical blessings of this life versus the spiritual blessings. Those spiritual blessings make up our justification of sin, forgiveness, and the, that thing, that, the contact that we can have in the blood of Christ. And as we turn our attention to the topic of death tonight, death is an, is an appointment that we all are going to have to face someday. Death does not have any age limits to it. We all know it takes those that are very young and those that are aged. In Hebrews 9, verse 27, we are told, As it is appointed unto man, men once to die, but after this the judgment. You know, many in our world, as we hear things in, on TV and newspapers and other things, many in our world fear the topic of death. They are afraid of it, and there's, I found it interesting that there's actually a phobia that one can have, and I am probably going to butcher this name terribly, but it is called thranthophobia. Thranthophobia, I believe is how you pronounce that. But it is a condition in which individuals can have, in which they fear to die. But as you and I know as Christians, we should have no such fear. If we know we are rooted and grounded and we are faithful in Christ, a member of His church and a member of His body, and we have obeyed the gospel in accordance to His will, we should have no fear in death. Because as the Christian life, as we live the Christian life, that is the ultimate goal. Because that will stand and last for an eternity as we each know. Jesus taught that. And throughout the first century church, the apostles taught that as well. So for tonight, we're going to also look at the swiftness of time. How time passes by for each of us physically here in the flesh. 
And as we look at this, ver this set of verses here in Psalm chapter 90, we're going to learn some interesting truths here about this, this psalm on teaching us to eternalize the thought of death, to eternalize and get comfortable with, as Christians, that our lives are short and that eternity will be before everyone. And if you're here tonight and you're not a faithful member of the body of Christ, I urge you to please consider the things we're going to talk about tonight. Maybe you have things in your life as a Christian that you are letting be, reign and supreme over in your life, and you've not been putting Christ first. Please consider those things carefully, because this is a matter of urgency for all of us to be sure to examine ourselves whether we are in the faith. And Brother Eddie asked us to mark the song number 517 tonight. And that song, that, that title is, Oh, Why Not Tonight? And of course, we'll sing that at the appropriate time tonight for a set time of invitation. But we're also going to use the message of that song tonight to teach us some valiant truths as we correspond and parallel that to the teaching here from Psalms. So if you would be turning to Psalm chapter 90. Psalm chapter 90. That was the lesson text that was read for us a few moments ago. And let's go ahead and look at, we'll begin reading in verse 9. If you would turn there with me, starting Psalm chapter 90, verse 9. For all of our days are passed away in thy wrath. We speed our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are three score, they're three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Verse 12, So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And when we study a psalm such as this one, before we dive into it any further, I would like to explain the background to you of this song. It's very interesting. You may notice before verse 1 begins, it says, A prayer to Moses, the man of God. So now we all know very well who the psalmist was, and that of course was David. And David lived roughly in 1000 BC, again, a thousand years before Christ. So these psalms are at least that old and during, was written while they were written during his lifetime. But it's interesting that Moses lived approximately 1,450 years before Christ. So that would make this psalm 450 years older than the other ones, making it the oldest psalm in the psalm book here for Israel. So as we consider the thought, why would Moses write a psalm about death? Why would he encourage the people of his day, to get comfortable with the fact of death, to number their days, that they may apply their hearts unto wisdom. Well, I think there's a very good explanation for this. So if you would be turning back with me to Numbers chapter 13. 
Numbers chapter 13. Really chapter 13 and 14, we will look at both of those. As we set the stage here for, for this set of verses... I'll invite you to look here at the, at the description when the spies were sent out into that land. And of course, they came back and they said that beginning in chapter 13, verse 32, I'll begin reading there. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone up, search it, is a land which eateth up its own inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw giants, the sons of Amalek, which come, which come of the giants. And we, are our, and we in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we are in their sight. And we all know as these spies came back, they stirred up the congregation of Israel, and they got angry. And they did not put their trust in God as they should. And as we turn to chapter uh, for the, to the next chapter, chapter thirteen, God delivers that well-known punishment on them that we all know of. Of course, the forty years of wilderness wandering. But He also delivered another punishment. In chapter fourteen, verse twenty-nine. God to them says, Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from twenty years old and upward, which have murmured against me. So again, when we consider the, their journey to the land of Canaan, that promised land that God had given them, if we look on a map, it's very interesting that we can appreciate that we, they could have journeyed into the land of Canaan in about maybe a day and a half to two days from where they were from this point. But of course their unbelief and their rebellion against God and his, their trust in him led him to this punishment of 40 years of wilderness wandering. So all those that were 20 years and above, they would be dead within that time frame. And what's also is interesting is that the fighting men that we can appreciate were approximately 685,000. And so, as we also appreciate the, will, the steadfastness and the um, determination and the, the appreciation of Joseph and Caleb towards them as they tried to stir them back to the truth on this, to put their trust back in God, that they could overtake this land. But as we consider that number, the 685,000 men, so if we take into consideration the women and the children, you are looking at approximately 200, two, uh, two, 2 million people that made up Israel. So it's interesting, if we calculate... How many would have died in that time frame of that punishment that were 20 years and older? It would have been 89 to 100 people per day on average. And that would have round up to 700 people per week. And then in, in a year's time, so 12 times 700 in our, in our counting our months, that would have been 8,400 people in a year's time. So to say that was a great epidemic would be a vast understatement, it would seem to me. 
And in fact, in a population of two million of, of those of Israel, this would have been the worst epidemic really ever seen in that time. Now we are all familiar a couple years ago with the uh, Ebola outbreak that, that, took, that took place in, in Africa. And as I had done some research on that, I found that in a three to five year span, just on average of 5,000 people died from that event, if those numbers were correct. And they called that an epidemic. So again, to say that Israel here and the vastness of their number that they were losing, again, because of this punishment that God had delivered on them, this would have been a vast epidemic to say the least. So I think we're, as we appreciate this, this punishment that God gave them, we're now understanding that those that were around and that made up Israel, they had to become very, very comfortable with death. And then, of course, we, as we turn back to Psalm chapter 90, Moses there also saying, and applying this to, our, to us today, again in verse 10, The days of our years are threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet their strength labor and sorrow. So we can understand those that live, you, Moses saying here, you might live to be 70. And of course, if you have some good genetics and you have the ability to, to eat good and have a good stature about you, you might live to be 80. But again, their strength, labor, and sorrow. We all know of that as old age comes, we don't motivate around like we used to. We have health problems. And yet many that are faithful Christians turn, their, turn over and they may have an attitude of, of wanting to go on to be, to gain their eternal reward. So that's what Moses is encouraging the people here. Verse 12 again, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. He's telling them on that occasion when he, when he penned this for them to eternalize the fact that their lives were short, again, from that punishment that God had delivered to them. As we go, come to the next slide, hardness of heart and time. And with that, let's turn, uh, open our songbooks to number 517 and look at the first verse of this song. And we'll learn a valiant truth from it. Verse 1 reads as follows. Oh, do not let the word depart, and close thine eyes against the light. Poor sinner, harden not thy heart. Be saved, O tonight. A hardness of heart will keep one from obeying the gospel. A hardness of heart will also be the reason for disobedience. For a faithful Christian. There's many times that we all have those in around our lives that have never obeyed the gospel, or they have, but they've turned away. And almost every time we can appreciate that something in their life they are putting over service to God. They know what to do to be saved, especially an erring child of God would. But again, it may be a particular sin, it may be a physical possession, it may be the riches of the world. 
But this reason for disobedience is highlighted in Acts chapter 26, verse 28. Paul there had delivered a sermon to Agrippa, and we all remember what he said. Thou almost persuadest me to be a Christian. Now we have no further textual evidence of in any other records that Agrippa obeyed the gospel. That was likely the most the closest he would have been to obeying the gospel. And we can learn a lot from a passage like that for you and I today as faithful Christians to be evangelistic, to talk to others around us, to encourage Bible study opportunities. And we can also learn a great deal from, again, from Jesus and the rich young ruler in, cha in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 24. And that is a powerful reminder for us today not to let the riches of the world rule our lives. That is not our purpose in life as Christians because we know that we have citizenship in heaven and we cannot let a worldly possession take the place of that or a sin take the place of that or a rebellion to repent of a sin take the place of that. But as Jesus spoke with the rich young ruler on that occasion, you may remember he came to Jesus and he said, Good master, what, do, what, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And of course, Jesus listed off those things that he had done. But when Jesus gave that pronouncement to go and sell thy riches and come follow me, we all remember what, what, what the rich young ruler did. He went away sorrowful. He couldn't let go of his riches. He couldn't turn over his life to Christ with Christ himself being right in front of him. A hardness of heart because of riches? Absolutely. But as we also consider time, time is basically rules our lives, doesn't it? We have to be at work at a certain time. We have to be at school at a certain time. We go to bed at a certain time. We get up at a certain time. Sometimes we eat at a certain time during the day. The clock really rules our lives. But as we go into this, may we always have time for God. May we always have time to meditate on His Word and to grow as we are commanded to do. But if you would, be turning with me to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And before that, let's read, before we visit those verses, let's read verse 2 of number 517. It reads as follows, Tomorrow's sun may never rise to bless thy long deluded sight. This is the time, O then be wise, be saved, O tonight. That is something to tell us about the uncertainty of time and the uncertainty of our lives. We like to get into the habit of, of certain things. We do this, this, and this, or X amount of things during the day, and they become a routine for us. And we like to make plans for maybe weeks in advance or months in advance or years in advance of what we're going to be doing. This is particularly common in young people as they try to plan their lives. They're going to go, they're going to graduate high school, go to college, get a degree, and then they're going to have 
children or get married and have children. And then they're going to have a good established job by then. And then by that time, their children will be grown and they're going to be grandparents. Some do look at, have an outlook on life as that. And by and large, we are to plan appropriately in our lives. We are taught that, to do that appropriately. But as we turn to James chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, we are reminded very straightforwardly this truth. Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You may notice verse, four, verse 13 that going into a city to buy and sell and get gain, not five years, not ten years, not twenty years, but one year. You don't know what shall come on the morrow. Again, an uncertainty of time and an uncertainty for our life. And that uncertainty in life begs us the question of how am I living? Am I the faithful Christian that God would have me to be? As we think on that thought and eternalize that thought for eternity, I would like us to go in our minds to imagine that tomorrow, and it is in fact, the current time, is right at 6 o'clock right now. If you could go in your mind and imagine tomorrow, Monday, November 25th, at 6 p.m. tomorrow, you knew you were going to die. There wouldn't be a thing you can do about it. It's say it. Would you be ready? What would you do? Those are some questions that we could ask. And this would probably be different for each of us. But we would probably call family members, tell them how much we love them, encourage them. And if we're faithful Christians, we would hope to encourage them to continue their walk in Christ. We would probably talk to our spouse, our wife, or our husband to tell them how much we love them. And then we would probably be thinking more seriously. We would probably approach God and clear our conscience of anything that may be standing between, between us. There may be a particular sin that has come between God and us, and we are not about to go into eternity without making that right. But again, that would be different for everyone. For the world, it would probably be a upsetting thing for many. Some may make a joke of it, and others may grieve themselves over it. But again, for a Christian... What would that be for you? 
most importantly, making your life right with God. And that brings us to verse 3 of the song. Verse 3 reads as this, Our God in pity lingers still, and wilt thou thus his love requite? Renounce at once thy stubborn will, be saved, O tonight. God is always there for us. We know that he is always there for his faithful children. And we know that we are going to sin and we're going to fall short of his glory. But for anybody that's not obeyed the gospel, he's there for them as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses beginning in verse 3 and 4, for this is, this is good and able in the sight of God our Savior, who would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Many in the denominational realm would like to attach a feeling to that. People say, I feel that I'm saved. I know in my heart I'm saved. But being saved has to do with knowing you're saved, coming in knowledge of the truth that you're saved. We read in 1 John about we can know that we have eternal life. He did not say we can feel we have eternal life, but by reading upon the inspired New Testament, we can know that we have eternal life. And that is for a one that's never obeyed the gospel or one that a Christian that has apostatized and that's walked away from God, his salvation is still there. He didn't give up on us, but we can certainly give up on him if we choose to do that. And that brings us to the next slide. And that brings us to verse 4 of the song. Verse 4 reads like this. The world has nothing left to give. It has no, no new, no pure delight. Oh, try the life which Christians live. Be saved, oh, tonight. The world has nothing left to give. We mentioned a moment ago about the riches of the world, and from that verse, it would seem appropriate to mention that once again. We all know very well that it's not a sin to own possessions. We all hear own possessions, we have houses, we have cars, we have land, we have farm equipment, we have X number amount of things. And those are our physical blessings of life that God has allowed us to have. But they are more important, but the spiritual blessings that we mentioned at the outset of the lessons are far, far more important than those physical blessings that are given to us. And that begs the question of all of us, are we, have we been taking advantage of those spiritual blessings as Christians? Or have we let our priorities in life go astray? Have we been putting something uh, over God and above His commandments for us? You know, we're reminded in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 17, Love not the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, a passage in a teaching like that should strike us to our very core, it would seem to me. 
Because if we prioritize the things in our lives in a way that would not be in harmony with God's command for us, then this text says, and we put those things and we love the things of the world and we love the world too much, then the love of the Father is not in that man or in that woman or in that Christian. It's a matter of prioritization in life. And we must all be reminded that this world is not our home. We look forward to going home for an eternity in heaven where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit is there and will be there for an eternity. We look forward to all the cares of this life to be over, all the pain and the heartache of this life to be over. But again, that will only come to those who are faithful, those that are members of that body of Christ, those, are me- those that are members of that kingdom. We have to be ready. And we're also reminded in 1 Timothy chapter 6, In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7. For we are, we are to be reminded of this, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is a certain that we can, break, that we can take nothing out. Again, possessions, earthly possessions, are, should not rule our lives. Although we are, again, commanded to be good stewards of them, again, it's a matter of prioritization. And in Matthew chapter 6, if you would turn there with me, we'll remind of what Jesus taught on that occasion. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, talking about treasures. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon, upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But this is what we are commanded to do as Christians. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where neither thieves do not break through and steal. Verse 21 drives the point home for each of us. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is your heart? And that begs the question of all of us here tonight. Is your heart in the possessions of this world? Are you, have you been so consumed by them? Is your heart hanging on to and clinging to some sin that you have refused to repent of? Or is your heart looking forward to a treasure in heaven? to a reward in heaven that will be given to us one grand day. And we're also warned again by Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. The abundance of life the abundance of these things which he possesseth. That's a strong, very strong warning for each of us to be mindful of covetousness 
and the sin that that is and the trouble that that can make in, in, the, in the life of, of, of us, in the life of our neighbors, in the life of our fellow Christians, to be covetous. That sin will condemn you and I if we're guilty of it and we, want, we refuse to repent of it. And in Matthew chapter 16, we are told one of the most profound questions that Jesus could possibly ask any of us while he sojourned through this life. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? We'll stop right there. To ask that question is to answer it, isn't it? The, this man may gain the whole world. He may have every rich thing that one could possibly imagine. And if he loses his own soul, what has that accomplished him? It's accomplished him nothing for an aspect on eternity. Continuing on, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Again, to ask that question is to answer it. Very simple, very straightforward commandment, and yet all about us each and every day we see individuals, at one time faithful members of the body of Christ, giving things in exchange for their soul. And that begs us the question to be on guard because the devil does walk about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And it'll be a gradual thing. It won't happen likely overnight. But that level of covetousness, that level of jealousy, that level of, of physical wanting physical things, wanting more and more things, that'll happen and it will eventually pull one away from the church. It will pull one away from God. And it will pull one away from the salvation. And it will pull one away from walking in the light. It's a priority in life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. That text there, as we appreciate it, is sometimes misapplied. Jesus said that all the physical, your physical needs of this life will be met if you seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, the righteousness of God. You will not only be blessed abundantly here, but with proper prioritization in life, you will be blessed for an eternity in heaven. But seek ye first the kingdom, that's the church. It's seeking the church first. Seeking the duties and the responsibilities of the church first. And with that, that brings us to our next to the last slide tonight. I know we finished our series of lessons on the crucifixion last time, but I did mention that we would again visit it in this one very, very briefly. Again, that very last statement that Jesus made in the agony he was in on the cross in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, And to thy hands I commend 
my spirit. I ask each and every one of us tonight, and myself included, if we die again, we know 6 o'clock tomorrow we are going to die, can we say this with confidence? Can we say this knowing that eternity will be before us and knowing we'll open our eyes up in paradise, in that Hadean realm, awaiting the day of judgment and awaiting heaven? Can we say, into thy hands I commend my spirit? Jesus could say that. Jesus had finished his purpose of his life in the flesh. And although our purpose is far more different than his, our purpose is to, of course, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole of man. We're told that in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. But also of a responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even into the end of the world. Jesus said that to those that before he ascended back to heaven, and that's just as needful as you and I today. Jesus could also, in completing his task, could say in John chapter 6, verse 38, and also that prayer uttered in chapter 17, verse 4, to God that he had finished the work that the Father had sent him to do. So that begs the question of us tonight. Are we doing our work as Christians? Are we living for God as we should? Are we focusing on eternity? Or have we eternalized the thought that this life is short and eternity is for eternity? There'll be no end. And as we close our lesson tonight, we'll, we'll, we'll take this time to it'll be a little bit lengthier conclusion. But if you've never obeyed the gospel tonight, you can. The waters of baptism behind me are ready. If you've never done that, one has to hear Romans 10, 17. One has to believe Mark 16, 16. Repent Luke 13, 3. Confess the sweet name of Jesus, Romans 10, 9. And be buried with Christ in baptism, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Revelation 1, 5 says they're washed in the blood of the Lamb. And those are going to be the only ones according to the later description in that, in that book, that we'll be able to enter heaven. And then we'll visit verse 5 of our song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? Verse 5 reads, Our blessed Lord refuses none who would to him their souls unite. Believe, obey, the work is done. Be saved, oh, tonight. My friend, the work is done. Jesus' completion and the crucifixion and his shedding of blood made that possible and the start of that church in the first century roughly 54 days later is still in existence today that's you and I we make up that body or if you are a faithful Christian or if you are an unfaithful Christian you may have done that at one time obeyed the gospel but you have allowed some things to come in your life you cannot say 100% that I am 
going to heaven or I'm going to paradise at 6 o'clock tomorrow if you knew you were going to die. You can make that right tonight. First John 1 John 1.9 commands you to confess those sins and upon prayer, he was promised to forgive you and restore you to faithfulness. We must all as Christians understand that our physical lives are numbered. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart, apply ourselves a heart, unto ourselves a heart of wisdom. And before we close tonight, Don Blackwell preached at a gospel meeting here not too many weeks ago and used this example. And it's a, it highlights a very important truth for each of us. He was preaching, this is when he pre preached in, in South Carolina, he said, and there was a couple there at the congregation that was unfaithful. They had, they had fallen away, and that night, he, it was a Sunday night, he got through with the sermon, and that man was sitting in the foyer, and he was upset, he was distraught, and Don thought he was going to get his life right, and they talked for a while, he said, and they shook hands, but he departed. He didn't ask for prayers of rededication. But friends, what that man didn't know is that his days were numbered. The next morning, he got up to go to work and was killed in a wreck. And that begs the question for all of us when we ex examine our own selves and our family members or our neighbors or friends about us that are lost, we have to do what we can to win them to Christ. And we may not be able to do that, and we can do, we can do that to our best of our abilities, but the bottom line is they have to have the repentant heart to do it. And that begs the question for us tonight. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. It's a simple question. If you're not right in the sight of God tonight, remember your days are numbered and eternity is too long and we can't miss heaven. If you need to come down this aisle tonight, to obey the gospel or prayers of rededication, we ask how, that you do that at once while together we stand and sing. <laughs>